Lord, as we bow our heads before you, we bow down humbly before you and we ask God for your blessings upon your word right now. God, as we open your word, as we look into it, as we study it, Lord, may we hear your heart. May we learn from it and understand who you are, God, who we are, and how much, God, you want to use us in this world to further your kingdom. And so, Lord, as we look to you, we look to the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, and we ask for your Spirit to anoint this time, asking in Jesus' name, amen. Well, over the years, the United States Marine Corps has put out some memorable recruiting slogans. And let me give you some of those. Like, the few, the proud, the Marines. I don't know if you remember that from long ago. Uh, There's another one, first to fight. I like that one. Oh, yeah, they're right in there, ready to go. Another one they put out is, if everybody could get in the Marines, it wouldn't be the Marines. (laughs) That's a good one. But I think the most famous slogan from the United States Marine Corps is this, looking for a few good men. Right, we've seen that. We've seen that on posters and some ads. And it's really a call, right, to step up, to step in, to, to, to do something to make a difference. And, and uh, it reminds me of something of, uh, John F. Kennedy famously said. You guys remember this? He said one time in a speech, Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And what a famous line that was that reverberates throughout history. And you know what? It really calls us in church too. That we would step up. That we would do something for God in furthering his kingdom. Well, today here in our Bibles, in our study in the book of Acts, a problem comes up. A situation comes up. And it prompts the apostles to actually be looking for a few good men. And that's the title of our message, the slogan there, looking for a few good men. And we're going to apply it to this church situation going on in the early church. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 6 from verse 1 through 7. 1 through 7 tonight. And basically, we're going to see three things. This section is, this passage is broken up into three parts. The number one is the, the situation. Number two, the solution. And number three, the selection. So that really gives us the idea and the points of what we're getting into and what we're going to be seeing here in this passage. So, the apostles are looking for a few good men. And first of all, though, we're going to look at, number one, the situation. The situation. Now, here in this section, we're going to be covering verses 1 and 2 in the situation as Luke, the writer, introduces that to us. So, take a look with me here now. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it reads, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, verse 2, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. We'll stop right there. 
Now, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, he begins here and he says, now in these days when the disciples, or we could say the people of God, the followers of Jesus were increasing in number. The church was growing. The church was actually exploding. If you remember back in Acts chapter 1, it started what with 120 people praying in the upper room. But then in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, and Peter preached a sermon, and, and, and then he preached another sermon chapters later, and then, then what do we see? 3,000, 5,000 get saved, and then there's like 8,000 people. And commentators say that it could even be up to 15,000, maybe 20,000 believers in this church. Maybe some uh, commentators even said 30,000. So the church exploded. There's, you can say, a re revival going on here. People are coming to the Lord every day. And so this church is just blossom. It's exploding. And so Luke is saying now in, in these days when the church was exploding, when disciples were increasing in number, followers of Jesus were, were just getting more and more and more. There were many, many people coming to be saved by Jesus. But before we go on, there's a saying with pastors, more people mean more problems. Uh, it seems like uh, every pastor I know, some of my friends, oh, when there's, when there's small, not too many, but when the church explorer got big, well, there's more problems seem to come into the church. And thus, we're going to see some problems arising here in the early church here. I like something C.H. Spurgeon said. The day we find the perfect church, it becomes imperfect the moment we join it. Now, I think that's great. I think that that's kind of funny. But the reality is we're all sinners saved by grace, right? We're all sinners saved by Jesus Christ. And so the church itself is made up of saved sinners. None of us is perfect. And so when we come together, when we come together to study God's word, to learn God's word, to grow spiritually, we, we have to grow. And so it's expected that we're not perfect, right? None of us is perfect. Anybody want to raise your hand and say you're perfect? No, nobody will. I see you online. You raised your hand. No, you're not. No, just joking. But un understand that, that in the church, no one is perfect and no church is perfect. And so really, as problems come into church, it's actually an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to grow in love, forgiveness, giving grace. It, it, it really is. Yes, God knows that no one's perfect in church. And in an imperfect church, there's going to be problems from imperfect people who don't treat each other right. Well, it really is an opportunity for us to grow in the Lord. So, in this imperfect church, and as imperfect believers do, it goes on in verse 1. It says, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So here's this church is blossoming. There's a, there's a revival, you can say, going on. Many people are coming to the Lord. Everyone's excited. And remember, we talked about how they were so much in unity in the past chapters. But now here's a problem. Here's a, the situation that developed. It says that the, the, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Now, 
this complaint, this grumbling, this, hey, th- th- this isn't right. You know, they're, they're, by the Hellenists, they're saying that the Hebrew guys over there, they're, they're like neglecting our widows. That's Hellenist widows. They're neglecting them in the distribution of food. Now, let's understand th- this verse a little bit. The Hellenist refers to Greek-speaking Jews. That's the first language. They speak Greek. Why is that? Well, they come from outside of Israel. They uh, were part of the dispersion where Jews are dispersed out and went out into different parts of the empire of the countries. And that's where they grew up. They grew up in the place where they spoke Greek. That was the first language. And so perhaps during Pentecost, they came to celebrate, to give honor to the Lord. They got saved on that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and Peter gave his sermon. And so now they stayed to live in Jerusalem. So here are these Hellenists who, who, who speak Greek uh, and, and, and they're Jews, but they're not like local to Jerusalem or Israel there. That's the Hebrew guys. The Hebrew guys are like the locals in Israel. Well, there, this complaint came up to, from the Hellenists, the, the Greek-speaking Jews, saying, look, you know what? The, these Hebrew guys, um, they're neglecting now the, the widows in the daily distribution. Now, it, the, the complaint, the grumbling came because the, the Hellenist widows now they weren't getting their portion. Now, back then, it was custom with the synagogues, actually, and I think the church adopted this, to take uh, offerings and take things that people have given and give them to the widows. The, there was no social services, and the widows, they had nothing. They had no way to making money, so basically, the church was supporting them. Uh, I was reading in the synagogues, the custom was to give out every Friday enough meals to widows to last seven days. So the meals will last seven days, they come back and they get more meals so they can go on living and having food. Well, this must have been what was going on with the church. Remember, we, we read that in the last chapter, and chapter end of chapter four, right, that everyone was giving and support of the people, supporting one another. And one area was for these widows. Now, the Hellenists, who are the Greek-speaking Jews, are saying their widows, Hellenist widows, like Greek-speaking widows, uh, Jewish widows, were not getting like their portion. They were being neglected. Now, underneath there, it, it seems that there might be something going on. Uh, we know that the the, the, the Jewish guys, they were a little bit prejudiced against the Hellenist Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, because they weren't, quote-unquote, pure. Like, we're the locals, we're the real Jews, we, we, we're from here, but you guys come over. And, and so there's this, from this underlining uh, uh, thing going on, perhaps in this situation, we know in the society there, there definitely was. And the Pharisees even looked upon the Hellenists as like second-class citizens. And so that kind of air in the society in Jerusalem probably leaked into the church. It could have been. And perhaps that was a little bit of what might be going on here. 
So even though the early church had this system of giving, it seems like the Grecian widows, which we could say they are, they were falling through the cracks. And that began to create some dissension here, which was potential for a full-on division in the church. So you can see a little bit stuff going on here. And the Helen is complaining, hey, the Hebrew guys, uh, maybe they're not giving food. Maybe they're neglecting us because we're Hellenists, you know, that kind of thing. And perhaps the Hebrew guys, maybe it, it was that. But there was a lot going on. We'll see that in a moment. But it could have been that. But either way, there was dissension happening, which could have the potential of a full-on division in the early church going on right here. Now, whenever, if you think about it, there is a work of God going on, well, Satan is there doing his work, right? Satan is always attacking God's work, trying to stop what's going on here. I mean, th this is amazing. Uh, uh, the truth of Christ is saving people. God is using apostles to bring the gospel. They're, they're doing miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit, validating the message of Christ and that Christ is alive and it's through Him who's healing people and saving people. So you can imagine this, this 120 blossom into maybe 15,000. This is huge. God is moving. People are excited. But in the middle of this, there comes this complaint this dissension and a potential full-on division and that's what satan does we have seen here up to now in the book of acts three ways that satan comes in and really attacks the church and we see that today it's 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 a strategy he does this throughout all history first of all was what persecution twice right the, the Peter and John and the apostles were thrown in prison, told not to preach Jesus. And so there's persecution beginning to come from the religious leaders, the respected religious leaders who were part of the priests, uh, uh, priest, um, um, you know, overseers, the, the priest leadership, right? They were coming against them. They're, this was heavy, right? So first of all, Satan uses that. Uh, to try and stop the message of Jesus going out. So first of all, it's persecution. We see that throughout history, don't we? Even to today, there's persecution. There's governments. There's people trying to stop Christians and Christianity. Secondly, we saw in Acts chapter 5 was corruption. We saw persecution back Acts chapter 4 and 5. But then in chapter 5, didn't we see that at the beginning, corruption started to come into the church. Some guys say, well, Satan tried to come against the church from the outside. He couldn't stop then, so he went into the inside. He, he, he made his way in. And if you remember, in Acts chapter 5, it was when Ananias and Sapphira, remember, they sold some land, kept a portion, and told the church, hey, yeah, we sold it for this much that we're giving, lying that they actually sold it for more and were keeping some of the money. Remember, we learned back then in chapter 5 that they were, they were kind of into the notoriety, the being, be, being in front of people. Oh, yeah, wow, look what you did, you gave, you know. But actually, they, they wanted that uh, glory, and they wanted uh, the money too. They wanted the notoriety. They wanted to have been looked upon as somebody great. And so that was corruption. That was corrupting the church. 
And Satan was trying to use that to corrupt the early church. So we see, number one, persecution happening. We've seen it in the book of Acts. We say, see Satan come in, and then he's trying to corrupt the church through this act of Ananias and Sapphira. And now here we come to the third strategy of Satan trying to stop the church, and that's this dissension. That's to bring about this potential split in the church, dissension or division, you can call it. And how many churches have been destroyed by division, by dissension? And here's the potential here that things can go on in that way. So we see now that there's this problem brewing. There's this complaint, the Hellenists, hey, we're being neglected. Our widows are being neglected. The Hebrew guys, I think they're against us. And all that is going on. Now, something else we see in verse 2. It says, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So here's another problem. Now, with this coming to their ears that the Hellenist widows are being neglected, uh, with that coming to, to their ears, they're like, wait, well, you know, our hands are full already. That's what they're saying. They feel the pressure. Imagine the apostles now. When they says the 12, that means the apostles. It means the 12 apostles, including, remember, we learned Matthias, right? And they're feeling the pressure because there's 12 guys trying to lead, say, 15,000 to 30,000 people in this church. They're trying to do everything to meet the needs all over, and, and, and they're overwhelmed. And it's easy to be overwhelmed there and then lose focus on what they're really called to do. And what is that? The Word of God. So that, that's why they said, well, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God and to serve tables. Now, it doesn't mean that they're, they're not willing to humble themselves and get down there and, 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 and be at the, uh, a place where they're giving away you know, the meals and everything. No, that's not what they're talking about. They're, they're talking about that we can't serve tables and we can't serve the word of God. We can't give out the meal and give the word of, of God. It's too hard to do both. So we see the neglect, the potential division, the overwhelmed disciples saying, oh, look, uh, we can't give up preaching and just do this. I mean, how are we going to handle this? I mean, yeah, okay, the Hellenist widows are falling through the cracks. I mean, um, we're just overwhelmed here. What do we do? So this is the situation and it really revealed the need for helpers in the church. The situation revealed the need for helpers in the church. The Hellenists were getting uh, neglected. Maybe they're starting to think. And maybe some of it was going on, on some prejudice. But they're like, well, well it, it's the Hebrews. They're neglecting us because we're Greek-speaking Jews here. The disciples are like, oh, Oh no, these guys aren't getting their food, but, but we're over overwhelmed. It's not right that, that we're taking away from studying, from preaching the word of God more, and then, and then go and do this. So the situation really it did reveal the need for helpers in the church. You guys probably heard it's been said that 20% of the church does 80% of the work. I've even heard that 10% of the church does 90% of the work 
It, it always seems that way in a church that there's less people doing most of the work than most of the people who are coming who are not doing the work. It just seems to go that way. And, and I think it's because believers, really, we tend to fall into this consumerism. We become consumers. In other words, the church is, is a place that we go to receive services, to receive goods and services, that, that we just come in and, and you're supposed to serve me, you're supposed to do stuff for me. It, it's not to do something or to serve, but it's to get. And so many times that's the mentality. And sadly, when you don't get, you figure, ah, forget it, and you leave to go church shopping, or I was thinking it's like going to another restaurant, right? Um, well, you know, this, it doesn't really please me and everything, so I'm just going to find another restaurant kind of thing. But really what's being revealed here and what's going to come about is what we understand, right? The church is a body of Christ. It's a place for us to participate in the body. We all uh, have a function in the body of Christ. We all have a place in the body of Christ. That should be our attitude. I mean, what's your attitude when you come to church? Is it, well, what's in, in it for me? Or is it more like, well, what, what, am I, what can I do for you, Lord? And, and I think we can fall into one of two categories. Are we here really to help, to be part of the body, or am what I am complaining and grumbling about hurting the church? You can imagine, yeah, there's real needs here, but when that happens, we should be able to go talk to the leadership or go talk to the pastor. I mean, but these, these Hellenists, they're, they're grumbling. They're complaining in all of this. And there's potential of division, dividing this church, and dissension is starting. Sometimes we, are part, we partake in that dissension, but we're not really part of the solution in serving in the body of Christ. So that the situation really revealed that, you know what, these apostles couldn't handle everything, and things, yeah, were starting to unravel here. They needed help. The situation revealed the need for helpers in the church. And you know what? That's what we should be. We should be helpers. We should be part of resolving things, helping the work, helping those in leadership. Become part of the, the 10%, you know, or the 20%, and let it grow to 50%. You know, I, I, my prayer is that it would be switch, right? that 90% of the people would be doing 90% of the work, or yeah, or 100% of the work. So um, yeah, wherever you're at right now, be open to what the Lord is really calling you to do. All right, this is the situation, and this is why the apostles would be looking for a few good men. All right, number two, here we come to the solution. We come to the solution. We've seen the situation, and now number two, the solution. And here we're going to look at verses three and four. It reads here, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, 
full of the Spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. We'll stop there. Now, in order for the apostles to do what they're called to do, they're, they're called to preach, right? They're saying, look, it's not right for us to give up preaching, to try and handle everything that is going on, uh, and, and to go and, and, and be able to you know, get into that day-to-day, week-to-week uh, a ministry of, of doing these things. He's, he said, our, our priority is to keep the Word, to keep preaching the Word. So therefore, brothers, he's really, they're talking to, they gather the main followers of Jesus, the main disciples of the church there. Uh, they said, so pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. So we're, we want you guys to, to kind of uh, uh, nominate, you know, seven guys and then bring, a, bring them to us and then we will look and we'll make the final decision of these overseers. So these guys are like, like leaders under the apostles. These are the ones who are to serve the apostles and the things that they're not able to fully handle as they focus on preaching the word of God. And so the the solution really comes to that. They're like the deacons or the elders and 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 uh there's some uh talk and conversation about these guys actually being the the called deacons and all, but we know later that's a Paul calls these lay leaders in the church uh, there's elders leaders there and there's the, the the pastors but these are the leaders under the apostles so here we see now they said okay pick out some guys seven guys now and then the apostles give them the qualifications for these guys find these guys that will uh, fulfill or, or qualify with these uh, specific qualifications and we're going to see four qualifications here for this overseer position of different parts of the ministry and number one we see this they are believers among you they are believers among you look at verse three pick out from among you seven men um, um, i'm sorry pick out from among you seven men We'll stop there. Pick out from among you. These are believers in the church. Those in the church. Believers in Jesus already part of the body. You know, this idea is so great because the apostles had this in mind that you seek to disciple and raise up within our own ranks, within the the church, not from the outside. I know some guys, they recruit a lot of people from the outside. Or I've, I've known uh, some, some friend pastors tell me, oh, this church over here, they're like canvassing the people in our very church to come and be leaders at their church, kind of like secretly. But I believe we see here the apostles are saying, look, among you, among the church, that you would raise up leaders from within the church the, ch- the local church body right there. I, I even heard of like um, churches that will hire even non-believers, even like to come and lead worship or be part of the band, to pay them. Like, and they don't even have to be saved. I'm kind of like, 
Well, that's kind of strange because leading worship is such a spiritual ministry. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense to me. But I believe here we see a principle that God calls you uh, to a home church where you're saved, uh, where you grow. And I believe it's there where God raises up leaders, raises up people to serve, raises up people to be pastors or missionaries or spiritual leaders in different areas. And and I've seen that throughout the time I've been a Christian and even myself and uh, how God raised me up um, and how I raised up other people. And I've seen um, someone who came into the church, the first thing they did, they're like an usher. They were just moving chairs. Uh, But then later on, God brought them ultimately to their calling to be a pastor. To actually pastor a church. Or I've seen people start out in like cakey church, you know. And they're just teaching a class. And, and, and this guy then just little by little, God starts raising him up. And he's doing home fellowship or he's sharing Bible. So he starts to teach. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, he's a missionary. I remember one junior high uh, leader I had, uh, he went out to England. And, and he was... Uh, he, he was part of a, a, a team that went out as a missionary. He ended up being a pastor of a Calvary chapel. Um, and, and it's just amazing to see how God works in that way. So I see this going on here in the same sense that uh, here in verse 3, pick out from among you seven men. So first of all, they are believers among you. They're, they're among you. They're believers. Number two, they are men with godly character there are men with godly character we see in verse 3 pick out from among you seven men of good repute uh, that word sounds funny huh it's kind of like oh it's it, it sounds weird repute repute no it actually means reputation uh, pick some guys seven guys that have a good reputation they have integrity they're known what for their godly character. They're men with godly character. Uh, uh, look, leaders in the church are not perfect, but generally, you know what? They're great people. That's, that's really the idea here. 1 Timothy 3.1 talks of overseers to be, you know what? Above reproach. That pastors and leaders to, to be above accusation. That they generally, they're not perfect. None of us are perfect but that we generally have a good character. We have integrity. We're, we're honest. We, we're, we're about Jesus Christ. We're about glorifying Him. We're humble. We're, we're not about ourselves. That, that we're, we're, we're people who really are in love with God, who love the Word, who, who want to follow Jesus and further the kingdom. I mean, that kind of godly character in that way. And so here's... The apostles, they're saying, look, look for men with like a good testimony, a good testimony in the church. And not only that, outside the church, a good reputation all over. What does I was thinking about what does your social media show? I mean, what, what do you post on Facebook? A lot of times that shows what you're about. Right. I have a pastor friend of a very large church in Texas. And and if you know what he he was saying that he. He, when he's considering leaders, he actually takes a good look. He has his leaders, when they're looking for leaders, take a good look at their Facebook <laughs> posts to see where they're at, what they're about. 
And if they see like, oh, they're like all oh, about partying, getting drunk, all that, they're like, wait, wait, we got to talk about that. I mean, that's not someone who has uh, 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 qualifications as a, a leadership, right? So um, here's the apostle saying, look, you know, find guys, uh, men who have godly character. All right, so number one, they are believers among you. They are men with godly character. And number three, it says here, they are full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. So verse three, seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit. What is that talking about? That's talking about someone who is Spirit-filled, who is connected to God, the Holy Spirit, who's led by the Holy Spirit, who's empowered by the Holy Spirit, who's controlled by the Holy Spirit, who's dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit, who knows their own weaknesses and limits that they need God, they need the Holy Spirit, and they understand how important that is. Someone who is anointed and full of the Holy Spirit. And isn't that important about leadership? If they're leaders in the church or spiritual leaders and what uh, important vital thing they need to have is they need to be filled with the spirit you know you leaders here or, or or leaders out there if you're aspiring or god is calling you to be a leader take some sort of leadership in the church are you really seeking to be controlled to be filled with the spirit and, and that's very important because our work is a spiritual ministry and we need the Spirit. We need to be connected and empowered, uh, 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 connected to God and be empowered by God to do His work. And so that is so important that they are full of the Holy Spirit. And one other thing, I think that there's an, uh, another evidence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And you know what that is? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Turn over to the right to Galatians. Galatians 5, 22 and verse 23 gives us the, the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit. And Paul was contrasting that to the works of the flesh. But here he gives us the 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 fruit of the spirit what comes out as we grow what grows out of us as we grow in christ as the spirit works in our life if you look at galatians five twenty two, it says the fruit of the spirit first of all is what love love comes out of the leadership secondly joy there's a joy in them a joy from god they're not walking around like eeyores you know, the, the, no, they have that joy of heaven, the joy of God in them from the Spirit. Love, joy, and then what? Peace. There's a peace about them. They're not always fretting. They're not always worried. There's, there's this, this peace that passes understanding. They're, they have the peace of God in them that comes out of them, no matter the situation. And then there's patience. They have that long-suffering, as the old King James say. There, there's, they seem to be more patient in situations than anyone else. I mean, I, I'm not always patient, ask my wife. But generally, 
you know, I, I feel the Spirit helping me to be patient. I'm learning to be more patient and growing in that patience. And if someone doesn't have that patience, they're always like flying off the hand, handle, they're always, uh, then uh, maybe there still need to be some time before they step up into leadership. Kindness, uh, being kind to one another, not like uh, on top of each other, not being unkind. Goodness, there's a goodness about them. Uh, faithfulness, they seem faithful to what God has called them to do. There, there's a loyalty and there's a faithfulness that they're here, they show up on time, they're always uh, trying to do their best and obeying the Lord and what God has called them to do. There's a gentleness about them. They're not like super harsh and, and, and always cutting and, and coming down, but there's a certain gentleness about them. That's the Spirit working in our hearts. And then self-control against such things there is no law. Self-control, that's a big one. And uh, um, I think we're all working on that one, but more so we see that fruit coming out that, that you're not given to emotion. You're not given to frustration or you're not given into always like getting upset or, 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 or complaining, grumbling, just being overwhelmed with things. Self-control that you can hold things together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's some evidence of being full of the Holy Spirit and that's the fruit of the Spirit. So, Number one, they are believers among you. Here's the qualifications. Number two, they are men with godly character. Number three, they are full of the Holy Spirit. And back to Acts chapter 6, verse 3, after full of the Spirit, says, and of wisdom. So number four is, they are full of wisdom. What's wisdom? Well, wisdom is knowledge applied. That's a basic definition about that. In other words, these guys that... that are going to be, are, are being picked for this leadership, overseer position. These guys, that they got to not only know the word, but they must be living out the word. It's applied. Not, not only do they have knowledge like Akamaita theology and doctrines, but they're practical with that in their everyday lives. I remember meeting a, a guy I was witnessing on the street years ago and and um, hand him track and goes, oh, I know that. I have, I have all the books, all the commentaries of Calvin, and I have this commentary and that commentary, and, and I, I, I know it. And as I talked to him more and more, it was like, yeah, he, he seems to say he knows it. He seems to say he's read it, but it seemed like there was deadness inside. I don't think he was saved. I don't think he really knew the Lord. And so, in a way, that is what we're talking about here, that those who, uh, who are qualified are ones who have wisdom, who've taken the word and the knowledge of God and they're saved. And they, they are applying it to their lives. They're living that out. They, they know what it means. They understand the word and God and who they are. And that they're, 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 they're living that out in a real way, in a real relationship. And they have that wisdom now and the understanding of how to live their life and really how to serve the God here. I think about how like the leaders in Israel in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, they were to be men, of, men 
who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's a leader. They, they know what God is leading them to do. They know what God wants them and how to lead the people of God. So you see, with these four qualifications, the apostles is telling them, look, look for a few good men here with these things. They're believers. They're, they're among you. They're, they're already in the church. They have godly character. Or they're full of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of God. You know, for me here at Upcountry Calvary, this is what I try and look for. This is what I look for, guided by the Holy Spirit. I've, I've been blessed with you guys who've stepped up, blessed with, with you guys who, who God has called. But you know what? God is raising up more people. Whether you're here or online, you know, God is looking for those to raise up. He needs more leaders. He, he needs people to help the pastors. and He needs people to assist, to, to oversee, to take on some projects, to take on some things that, the, that God in His will is trying to put together. And we need to be aware of that and what God is calling us to do. Look again. Listen to this message again. Look, look at these four qualifications that, that you're a believer among the church. You, you have godly character, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And see if you may grow in any of those areas. Well, then in verse 4, the apostle says, the apostles say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Lord. Now, the apostles are going to make the final decision. And with that, then with these seven guys, they're going to be able to devote themselves to prayer and the word. The word devote means to tarry, to remain. The actual Greek word means to continue steadfastly. It means to like be close to. So they are to be close to. They are to be really into. This is their priority. Really into two things. Prayer and the word. Pastors must spend time in prayer. I mean, that's probably one of the biggest parts of preaching is part of your preparation in prayer. So it's important that pastors, that we are in prayer, in constant prayer. And that's what really gives life to the teaching. And then the second thing they are to devote themselves to, in verse 4, is to the ministry of the Word. In other words, pastors must really uh, uh, be devoted or put themselves into this ministry of giving the word and that means preparation time that means spending time in study and preparing your message and and preparing to give out the the word to serve the people with the food the meal of the bible the word of god and all of that really takes time it takes effort it it, it really is hours of study to prepare the ministry of the word and and it it takes a lot it it really does i mean for me i mean average i'll probably spend um 8 to 12 maybe even 15 hours on one message and i do two messages a week and so it, it's a lot of time sometimes it's shorter sometimes it's longer sometimes i'm not getting it <laughs> sometimes it's quicker 
So, but but it's average around there, around those hours. And for me, I, I love it. I like it. I like to get into it. I like to be able to understand the word so that, and then organize it in a way so when I teach it to you, you guys can understand it. Well, that's important. If you're a teacher of the word, it's important that you take that time. And that's why it's important that other people step up to help in other areas of ministry in the church. Because for the pastor to neglect that part, it, it's not right. If they're called to teach, then, then they need to focus in on, on that because that's what feeds the sheep. And we talked about that the other day in First Peter, that the main minister of the shepherd is to feed the flock of God, the word of God. And Peter knows that well and what Jesus told him. I, I heard of um, someone who uh, uh, called a, another pastor and said, oh, I'm having a hard time and, um, you know, I got to do all these things in the church and I don't know if I did the right thing. I had to, you know, go counsel and go take care of this and go take care of that and this. And, and I, I haven't been able to study for my messages. And so I don't know if this is right, but I hired someone to teach and and the, and the pastor his friend who he had called said wait what aren't you the one who's called to preach shouldn't you get someone else to do those other things see that's what's important that's what the 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 apostles were saying they were the ones who were discipled by jesus who are called what to bring the word of god right god was using what they were doing and saying and preaching to bring many to the lord and now they needed help and they could not spread themselves so thin that they neglect the word of God. And so by raising up and choosing these seven men, the, past, the apostles would be able to, to really get into the word and give themselves to the study of God's word. So the solution we see here to raise up the seven guys is to help the apostles to give all to the study of the word. The solution of choosing these guys was to help the apostles to give, uh, uh, to help the apostles be able to give all to the study of the word of God. A young man once told the gifted preacher, Donald Gray Barnhouse, I give the world to be able to teach the Bible like you do. Looking straight, looking him straight in the eye, Barnhouse said, Good, because that's exactly what it would cost you. Pastors know, teaching pastors know that we do give our lives over. We give so much effort and time over to the study of the Word. You know, as a small church here, I try and do what I can, answer some email, uh, take care of some uh, bills, uh, uh, counsel, and all of that, but but one thing I will not neglect is the study of God's Word. My, my life is really, really um, centered on that, the study of God's Word. I mean, I, I try and do everything I can. That's the priority. I try and cover other all things, and little by little, as, as we um, kind of get things going again here in the church, and um, I mean, uh, some of you will... will God will call to step up to do other things and help out. But for me, it, it's always the study of the Word of God. And, and, and I take that time. And I, I like to pray. And, and, and even for that, I, I was thinking about this, that 
I want to take care of my body, uh, mind, soul, and spirit to be able to stand here and preach, to be able to teach you, to be able to study. And so even my physical body, I, I try and stay in exercise. That's why I, I surf. I try and, you know, I, I noticed before when I, years ago when I, I, I wasn't in a regular routine exercise, oh, I get tired so fast and uh, I'd be reading, I'd fall asleep. And, you know, I, I just didn't have that stamina for ministry and study. But but the exercise that I do for my body, for my physical well-being, it really helps me in my studies and in my my preaching. Um, I try and take care of my mind in a sense of, of what I engage with. Um, I try and read and and I'll even take mind breaks. <laughs> That's what I call it. We call it that from um, always study, study. Sometimes I got to take a little break and uh, relax a, a little bit, watch something or, or, or just look at, you know, look outside and look at the scenery or whatever. Um, I try and take care of my soul, body, mind, and soul. The soul is like emotionally, uh, my heart. Um, um, uh, I think even getting in the water, just to get wet, there's something with the water goes, you're just like, oh, you know, kind of thing. Um, you know, it's good to laugh. Yeah, I watch something make you laugh or just, just emotionally because it can be very stressful. The attacks of the enemy, the oppression can be very, uh, just just bearing down on you, but sometimes just emotionally, just got to take a break from a lot of that. And then spiritually, as we, uh, the apostles were saying here, that they got to devote themselves to prayer. Prayer is huge for me. Seeking God on my own. Now, and I'll even listen to uh, messages, uh, not of myself, of other pastors, and just kind of refresh my own uh, spirit too. And so um, all of that, really what I do, is centered on me fulfilling my calling on the Word of God, of, of, of teaching the Word of God. You know, for, for you guys too, I think maybe that's something to take. Maybe you're not preaching, but maybe it's something you need to do is get into the Word of God more. Get into God more. Seek God more. And let your life be centered on that. And he, do things for your body, mind, soul, and spirit that help you even seek God, get closer to God even more than now. All right. So, the apostles looking for a few good men, seven actually. We see the situation, the solution, uh, and that they are to find seven good men with those qualifications. And now number three, our last heading is the selection. The selection. And this is from verses 5 through 7. But first of all, look at verses 5 and 6. It says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So they brought seven guys now, seven men, seven good men, seven who qualified in the area, four areas we just talked about. And so then the apostles laid hands, prayed over them, commissioning them to that position. Now, understand when they did that, that though um, they did that, men don't ordain men. God ordains men. All we do is just recognize it. That's what the apostles were doing. 
And so that's what they did here. Now, who are these guys? Well, listed here in verse 5, we see, first of all, Stephen. He was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke writes that because in the next section, we're going to get into his life a little bit, uh, how he stood and preached against persecution, and he became the first martyr in the early church. So, so all this is bringing us to, to this important man and event that's going to happen in the next section of uh, uh, we'll see in the book of Acts. So here's Stephen. He was full of faith. He, he had the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that evident in the next section. And then we see Philip. Now, Philip, we'll see later in Acts 2. And he's the one who goes and shares Jesus to the Samaritans. And he had the daughters. This is different from the apostle Philip. He's, he's a lay leader guy. He's a deacon guy. But um, God uses him mightily too. The rest of the guys... Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. Uh, uh, we don't know that much about. All we know is their names here that are listed among the seven here. But the interesting thing I want you to see here is all of these guys, they had one thing in common. They had Greek names. Isn't that great? So remember the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, they're like, oh, you know what, we're being neglected, or the widows are being neglected. And look, I think this was great that the, the disciples, the church, the main guys, would pick these other Hellenists, Greek-speaking Jews with Greek names, yeah, and that they would put them in this position of leadership and primarily to help take care of this distribution of the meals. They're going to probably do other ministries too. But it was like bringing this, this church together and in, in putting down that prejudice of, well, locals only, right? But no, it is not that. We're all one people in Christ. No matter your race, no matter your background, no matter where you came from, if you came from Greece or Jerusalem, no matter what, we're all one body in Christ, and Christ makes us one. And, and I love this. This is, this is love. This is grace. This is God just preciously putting people all together as one. So I, I love this picture here and just understanding that, that the, all these guys have Greek names. All right, with that, verse 7, our last verse, it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we end here in this last verse that the word of God continued to increase. In other words, the word went out more, and even more stronger. And we see this coming off the heels of what happened earlier in this chapter is that the apostles were able to continue to preach the word of God and even more so that the word went out even more into the region. And with that, with the gospel and the word of God going out, more people were getting saved. Disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And so, so God used all of this. As help came for the apostles, as the body began to work together, the word was even more effective in bringing people to Jesus Christ. So much so, I like this, a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. The, the, the priests in Jerusalem, the staunch uh, uh, guys of Judaism, the, the holy priests who, 
who were giving the sacrifices of God were high up there. They were even coming to see Jesus as their Messiah. So God's work was going on even more, you know what, with this new way of organizing things, right? And, and, and the body is starting to function and get stronger and be more powerful, the church, in this way. So, our, so the selection of anointed leaders help further the work. And that's really what I want you to see here. The selection of these guys, of these anointed leaders are full of the Spirit, help further the work. And it really went further. It, it just worked. It just came together. And the church became even more powerful. What Satan tried to divide, they, it was solved through God, and it just became stronger and stronger. You know, I was thinking about this. You ever drive your car and the car's like running rough? I remember it was running rough and it was kind of misfiring. And, well, it was because of faulty spark plugs. And I had to, hadn't changed spark plug for a long time. I had to change the spark plug, right? But once everything is right and good together, you know, you, uh, together you get good plugs, you have a good distributor, good ignition, uh, the timing's great, uh, newer cars uh, more automatic. But anyway, you understand, right? When everything's running good, it runs stronger car. It can go far. Well, that's the church here. As the body got together, as people started serving, as the overseers were put in place, helping the apostles, apostles could now focus on prayer and teaching, and they could take care of the other ministries going on in church, the distribution of meals to the widows, and probably all other things, counseling, this and that, administration, this and that, of uh, all kinds of things that they took care of. So the apostles could just focus in on the word. Well, all that together was like this engine purring. And with that engine running good, it ran strong and far. And God used it in a great way. So as we come to a close, is God calling you? Step up. Step up. Will you step into God's call here? Some people, uh, I don't know. I'll stay a consumer in the church. But no, God is calling us to do what he wants us to do in the body of Christ, in this church, or wherever, whatever church you go to. So will you step into God's call, or will you just pass it off? I want to close with this. Someone wrote this um, poem. They said, they wrote, there's a clever young guy named somebody else. There's nothing this guy can't do. He is busy from morning till way late at night, just substituting for you. You asked to do this, or you've, you're asked to do that. And what is your ready reply? Get somebody else to do that job. He'll do it much better than I. So much to do. In this weary old world, so much and workers so few, and somebody else, all weary and worn, is still substituting for you. The next time you're asked to do something worthwhile, just give this ready reply. If somebody else can give time and support, my goodness, so can I. I like that. Isn't that, isn't that the thing? Well, somebody else can do it. Well, he's tired. <laughs> Let's step up and do what God is called us to do. 
So all of us, whether you're young or old, whether you're a guy or a gal, step up, step out. Let's follow the Spirit in what God is leading us and calling us to do. And so just like what we see here, we will fulfill the call. Just like what we see here when the apostles went looking for a few good men. Let's pray. Jesus, we are humble, God, in reading this. Lord, we don't want to be just consumers of the church where we come and approach church as ah, something for us, a restaurant or a store that should service us, have goods for us. But God, we want to be servants. We want to serve you, God, in the church to take part in this, this, this whole machine, God, this engine you put together to do our part, Lord, to further the kingdom of God, to bring Jesus Christ to people. Lord, I want to fulfill my call, and I know everyone here wants to do that. Let us not neglect it. Let us not put it to the side. Let us not be lazy about it, but really step up, step into it, God, and, and fulfill what the Holy Spirit is saying to us tonight. God, let us be those, whether in leadership, whether we're, we're serving in a ministry, or maybe, maybe we're a teacher or in, in Kinky Church, or maybe, maybe we're just moving chairs, or whatever that is. God, may we move. May we do what you're calling us to do. God, help us not to just sit back. Yes, there's time for us to sit and feed on the Word of God, to hear the teaching. But then there's that time, maybe afterwards, to pray for someone, to fellowship, to encourage someone, to use our gifts, Lord, in ministering one to another as a body. God, help us tonight to be mindful of that and not say, well, somebody else can do it because he's tired, as the poem said. But let us step up to do what you want us to do. You're, you're going throughout the earth. Your eyes are going to and fro looking for those who have a heart for you, God. And we have a heart. And if we have a heart, we will serve you and do what is most important to further your kingdom in the lives of the people that you bring to us here and out where we are in the world. So, fill us with your spirit now. Help us now, God. Lord, we want you and we want our lives to matter for you. In Jesus' name, amen.